0: Welcome to uh, another Political Yeti's Politics podcast. Uh, I'm James Miller, and I'm delighted to be joined by anyone this week, frankly, given that Westminster is deserted, Um, but in a a weird piece of, very spooky uh, piece of uh, kismet, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Who should I bump into? But uh, James McGrory, co-executive chairman of Open Britain, um, the organisation that has essentially picked up where the Remain campaign left off following the EU referendum—is that fair? Is that a good way to describe I it? Think that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, well, let's start with that EU referendum. Presumably, you're you, I you're going to pick up in a more successful way than perhaps the EU referendum went. Um, you know what went wrong? Well,
1: I, h- I hope so, because obviously uh, everyone on the Remain side of the argument, uh, including myself and those that worked on the campaign, were devastated uh, by the results. Um, but. You know, when bad things happen in politics, you can seed the field, walk away, say nothing must be done, or you can try and learn some lessons. And I think, in answer to your question, there are two clear lessons from the from the referendum campaign, of, based on substance. And the first one is that we didn't do enough to tackle the immigration argument. It was clearly a Big concern to people in large areas of the country, and people felt we were silent on it from a pro-European Remain perspective. And the second is, I don't think we did enough to sell the benefits of economically of the European Union, particularly around membership of the single market. I don't think people understood the jobs it brings, the investment, the lower prices in the in the shops, and why it's a unique model um, that shouldn't be thrown away.
0: Um, I mean, saying that, it sounds like your organisation really should have been set up, well, 40 years ago, in a way. I mean, that wasn't that part of the problem. There was nobody making the case for Europe. It's all very well the Remain campaign started up when it did, but there's been nobody making that case for for decades.
1: I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think the the Remain campaign had a huge task on its hands to underpick, unpick rather, 30 years of pretty rabid Euroscepticism in large parts. Of the country in in politics, in the media, um, you know, pretty rampant Euroscepticism was allowed to fester for the best part of three three decades, and went relatively unchallenged. Politicians in uh, b- more progressive parties, more pro-European parties, with a couple of honourable exceptions the likes of Peter Mandelson and Nick Clegg generally dug the issue of Europe to talk about more bread and butter domestic policy issues, I understand the politics behind that, but it did mean that pro-Europeans were left with a, an uphill struggle to sell the benefits of the European Union in what was quite a short referendum campaign I
0: suppose the question is, why didn't you see it coming before the referendum If you can, I mean obviously hindsight's a wonderful thing and you can look back and say, well we should have done more of this why didn't you do more of
1: it before the vote. Well look hindsight is hindsight is a wonderful thing. I mean I, I don't you know we got sixteen million people to vote for us, forty eight percent of the forty eight percent of the country, in a as I say, pretty Eurosceptic um State of, of of a country where a lot of people, you know, were pretty dissatisfied with the with, with the the situation that existed. But also in a campaign, you've got to marry the fact that we were a poor church. There was a lot of different competing visions from different politicians and different political parties. You had to build as poor a church as you as you possibly as you possibly could. Um, and, you know, you can identify mistakes afterwards. That's a lot easier to do than than to do so either before or during a campaign given it was, as you say, you
0: got all these people to vote for you, and you only needed a few more to 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 swing it, um,
1: did that make it worse? Would you rather have lost 60-40? No, I mean, I think you want to get a general rule of politics is try to get as many people to vote for you as as possible. But I think any defeat, whether it had been 60-40, 52-48, which was the result, 50.1 versus 49.9, well, yeah. would have been equally disappointing, because if you... You know, as I do, believe that Britain is best served by being a member of the European Union then clearly you've lost something quite precious to you and your politics um, I mean you talk about it being a broad church and
0: competing interests, of course there was another referendum campaign not that long ago uh, which was in the same boat, which was Better Together um, how much did you learn from them or not learn from them as a successful model or unsuccessful model depending on which way you, you look at Better Together
1: these days uh, I mean I think they were too, They were really quite, quite different um, I mean, they were both referendums, but on very different on very different issues. I think the main thing we did differently from Better Together, which I think was a strength of our organisation, is that we didn't during the referendum, European referendum campaign, embed all the parties within the structure, which is what Better Together did, which did allow us to to have different political parties making the case in the way that they wanted to, rather than having to have everything, absolutely everything that you said agreed for, agreed by all the different political parties involved.
0: Um, I mean, I was strangely enough, I again, it's all very very weird, because I was literally thinking, oh I know, there's this bunch called Open Britain, maybe they'll come on my podcast, and then you happen to walk past. And literally just the other day, I was clearing some stuff off my uh, Dictaphone, including a session from January when I was in the regional lobby with yourself mm. and Will Straw, uh, who was the leader of the um, Britain Stronger in Europe. Um, you sounded very bullish. Listening back, obviously, it's quite different
1: when you know the result. Um, were you overconfident going into the, the referendum? No, I don't. I don't. I don't think that's the case at all. You should. We thought we could win uh, without a shadow, a shadow of a doubt. We didn't. But I don't think at any point there was any complacency. We always knew it was close and tough. The external polling showed us that, the internal polling showed us that, the reaction that you get on the on the doorstep showed you that. But you have to be confident about the ideas you're, you're putting across, about the vision for the country you're putting across. Otherwise I don't think you know, people will vote for you if you sound sheepish about it. Um, at what point did you know you were gonna lose? I mean, no is a big no is a big word because if you do if you're in my line of work there's always that sort of flicker mm. of hope that stays alive. Uh, I mean, within a within 90 minutes of of the result of the, of the 10 o'clock polling, clo- close of poll, the the writing was pretty clearly on the wall from our own modelling.
0: That is just about as late as you can know a result. I mean, even general elections, 10 o'clock you get the um, the, the exit poll and you've got a pretty good idea of what's going to happen I mean it's very rare that a result goes that far into oh,
1: the night I, I mean c- that must have been yeah. <laughs> even worse even more guys yeah I mean look, it, was, yeah, it does make it sort of tougher to take it away but you got to you know the exit poll that wasn't really an exit poll that YouGov did yeah. on the night had us winning uh, and that was clearly not true. Farage conceded, if you remember, about yes. half ten, then well, unconceded. Yeah. <laughs> um, there wasn't really any commentators, journalists, politicians. No one was really predicting a leave win, which is you know, all the more an extraordinary achievement by them. But you're absolutely right to say, you know, it was quite late that, that, that people realised what happened. I know people who went to bed thinking... They were going to wake up with a Remain yeah. vote, and were genuinely shocked when they got up at six, seven in the morning to mm. see what had happened. And you know, barely a couple of hours later, the Prime Minister of the country <laughs> had resigned.
0: Yeah, you forget, YouGov came out
1: with that poll. YouGov get a lot of things wrong, don't they? Well, look, I think I think I think to single out one pollster is probably uh, unfair uh, because look, the polling industry got the European referendum pretty yes. much wrong, and they got the last general election pretty much wrong you know I don't pretend to be a great sophologist at all but something that the polling industry is doing is not quite right because they are not accurately predicting the results of the last two major tests they've had. Well, but then surely that's a fundamental
0: misunderstanding on your your part, that you think that polling companies exist to get things right, when in fact they exist to make money, and they do that by selling interesting stories, getting newspapers to get pay them to do polls, give them results, and then the newspapers run stories based on a single poll, which is not what you're supposed to
1: do, and we go round and round and round and we never get any further. Is that fair? No, I think that's probably a bit harsh. If, uh, if I want to, uh, look the, the polling industry, you know, is there to make money. It's like any, it's like any business. But it's credibility and it's raison d'etre is to be able to call things so that the media are informed, so that people in politics are informed, so that the general public are informed about likely outcomes and about more importantly what people think about about issues. And as I say in the last two tests, they've been pretty much unanimously wrong so that does suggest to me and as i say you'd have to speak to a far greater sophologist than i about you know what methods it is that they're using whether it's you know it was shy leavers in the referendum whether it was shy tories in the last general election there is a group in society that is not accurately being covered by polls. Otherwise, the polls would more accurately reflect the actual result of the ballot box. Does that beg a question about the whole immigration
0: issue? Because we, I mean, you know, we're seeing today it's uh, Jeremy Corbyn's doing his speech at Labour conference today, and a lot of uh, talk about Labour's approach to immigration. Because we're told that the voters are really concerned about immigration. How do we know that other than the polling? I mean, you know, obviously. People say that the referendum result was driven by it. Do you have any sort of insight
1: into what did drive that, the, well, look, the referendum result? There's polling, but there's also the, the method I favour much more, which is the doorstep. Yes. Um, and if you go out and talk to people on the doorstep, you will get a fairly you know, reflective idea of what people in your local community think. And if, frankly, if you've been in the doorstep on the doorstep involved in any political movement, whether it's party politics, whether it's a referendum campaign, in large areas of the country, outside of London, probably outside of Scotland as Mm. well, you will find that in large swathes of Northern England, of the Midlands, immigration is the number one issue that people want to talk to you about on the doorstep. Now, of course, you get a range of opinions on Mm. that, but as I say, just talking to people in your local community on the doorstep you know it is impossible to ignore the fact that immigration over the last 10 years has become one of the most significant issues that people are concerned about in this co- in this country um, and that is un- undeniable polling or otherwise so what next in terms of
0: um your approach to it as um open britain um you mentioned immigration are you, well let's start let's go back to the basics
1: you know, what is open britain how would you describe it so open britain is a is a new campaign we inherited the assets of the the stronger campaign mm. though I'll say not a penny of the uh, of the money um, and what we're arguing for is a continued close relationship with europe we're not arguing for a rerun of the referendum but we think that britain's best interests as a country are best served by maintaining a close relationship with our nearest neighbours both geographically and economically that means continued close relationship on trade we believe we should be pushing for mem- continued membership of the single market, continued cooperation on security, continued cooperation on the environment, continued protection of workers' rights, protection of EU funding streams, all of those things that Europe has brought as benefits, we should be striving to keep um, as much as we possibly can, even though we voted to leave.
0: Um, I mean, that doesn't sound, maybe because I'm so terribly metropolitan and all the rest of it, that doesn't sound very controversial. You're, you're arguing for the good stuff. How do you? I mean, you know, obviously things like immigration and the idea that the EU tell us to have straight bananas, which is you know the sovereignty argument. Well, I mean, that um, is also completely fictitious. It is complete nonsense. But it ha- had a, a hold on people believed it. People believe this the sovereignty argument. How do you counter then both immigration and sovereignty? I would suggest are the two big ones you've got to, to counter.
1: Well, we're leaving the European European Union, but you can argue that that just means what some people are terming a, a hard. Brexit. You just get out and you just cut all ties and you just do your own thing completely independently of Europe. That's the sort of the Fox vision of the world. I believe that would be catastrophic for Britain. I'll give you one example, trade. Now, that suggests that you're just going to move on to World Trade Organization rules. Now, that creates tariffs for companies to trade with Europe that have previously not existed at all. That's before you even start talking about non-tariff barriers. Now, that is the hardest of hard Brexit that I think would be detrimental to our country, whereas what you could argue for is membership, continued membership of the single market. You could be in the single market and not in the European Union. Norway is an example mm. of, of that. And that continues to allow us to trade as freely as now in both goods and services, which make up 80% of our economy, remember, um, as we do now. Um, but Liam
0: Fox is going to make lots of international arrangements. We've got Liam Fox on the case. Why are you worried about that? Liam Liam Fox, noted international trade man, Liam Fox. I mean, Liam
1: Fox is... Well, the one thing you can be sure of is Liam Fox is going to get a great suntan uh, because he is going to be going round a lot of countries talking to people. But really, that's all he's going to be doing, talking. You know, they made a lot of big play about the Australians early on wanting a trade deal. The Australians were forced to turn around and say, actually, we can't do anything until you've concluded your negotiations with the EU. There's also this quite complex and thorny issue of the customs union now if you want to negotiate uh, independent free trade deals yourself bilaterally with other countries you have to come out of the eu customs union now thus far even liam fox and he gave a speech about this yesterday has refused to commit to pulling britain out of the eu customs union partly because he knows that will be a Uh, problematic for business but it's all part of the Brexit means Brexit means nothing strategy currently being pursued by the government (laughs) Uh, is it
0: it, the thing that Brexit means Brexit I don't have a huge problem with this because it's true (laughs) I mean obviously (laughs) it doesn't really mean anything but all anybody voted for in June was to leave the European Union there was nothing on the ballot paper about immigration there was nothing on the ballot paper about Norway or putting Liam Fox in charge of the economy or mm. whatever there was just leaving the European Union mm. so does that not give the, the government an awful lot of leeway to sort of say right well we've left the European Union but we're going to do all this that and the other we're still going to have open doors we're still going to have this that you know, there's, a, there's a lot of leeway for them except they seem to be is, I assume Brexit means Brexit it's purely about
1: giving them that leeway uh, Brexit means Brexit is a holding line uh, none no more no less Um, but look there are some you're absolutely right people voted to leave the European Union but I don't think there's any mandate for the hard Brexit that some people are arguing for but the government's got a, you know the complexity of a 40 year relationship that we've established with the European Union is vast and there are an almost limitless number of questions to which the government is going to have to answer but right up the top of the list are what's our stance on the single market are we pursuing membership mm. participation access to what's our position on the customs union what kinds of reform to free movement are we actually seeking are we going to continue to cooperate on security measures and in what what way are we going to continue to cooperate on measures to combat environmental change and in what way? What's going to happen to EU funding streams beyond twenty twenty? All of these are questions that the government, when it starts its actual negotiations, are gonna to have to have a view on. And look, that's why groups like Open Britain exist to give our vision of what the government should be arguing for when they go into you know what two years, possibly more, of you know, complex and probably quite hard negotiations. What is your position on open movement then? We want to see a free movement uh, mended, not ended. We don't want to see the baby thrown out with the bathwater. We don't want these very, very harsh systems that uh, some people are floating, a points-based system or a, a system of visas. You know, for starters, that will really impact on Brits who want to go and live and work and study and travel in Europe. Uh, what we're arguing for is there is an appetite to look at this issue across Europe if you look at what politicians in France, in the Mm. Netherlands, in Denmark, in Finland, in Sweden, they've all said, you know, they appreciate that these are issues in their country as well. It's not just Britain where there's an issue with free movement but does that mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater, or do you look at reforms that might be compatible with pan-European agreement such as emergency, uh, sector-specific emergency breaks or tying the free movement to labour i.e. people with jobs or job offers rather than the free movement of people. There's a whole load of things you can look at that are much more about reforming the system so that it doesn't continue just as it has but as I say it doesn't go the, the whole other way and throw the baby out completely with the bathwater, so that we lose the benefits of free movement not just from the you know bright hard working tax paying people that come here but vice versa the same of Brits going abroad um, well it's the foreign baby you're going to throw out in the bathwater,
0: isn't it it's a little foreign baby it's going to get thrown out uh, by a nurse who's probably from the EU and has a, come here to work um, yeah uh, do you think if Cameron or whoever had tackled this had got emergency breaks or had got a better line on immigration from his renegotiation,
1: than the referendum was there for the winning. Look, I think it, I think it's too simplistic to say if they'd done X Y Z in the renegotiation and sold it in A B C way that you'd have a different you'd have a different result. Um, I think one of the 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 down one of the many downsides of um, the the result of the referendum. Is that the changes that David Cameron negotiated and negotiated hard for, which I think would have made a, quite mm. a big difference in the system, are not going to happen because Britain's not a member of the European, or won't soon be a member of the European Union. So all of that falls. It's not actually going to happen. All that negotiation, all those changes, they're not. They're not now going to not now going to happen. But what is going to happen is. Everybody knows that free movement is going to be at the centre of these negotiations mm. between us and the European Union and you can go in with your starting point of saying, well, for example, we want every European who comes here to have a visa or you can say is there something frankly better that we can do that still allows us to attract bright, hard-working, talented people to come here and make a contribution and indeed lets the same happen for Brits who want to go and do the same in Europe. Do you recognise um,
0: the stuff that's been in the papers recently, the books that have come out in record time, um, claiming that you know Theresa May was uh, a bit of a problem when it came to campaigning and um, and stuff about immigration, that she and Philip Hammond kind of put the, the kibosh on Cameron's plans to get a stronger land on immigration. Were you aware of this stuff going on during the campaign?
1: Not really. I mean, they, a lot of that is sort of internal mm. Tory party conversations, which, for good reason i wasn't privy to nor particularly would i would i would i want to be and um, look Theresa may campaign for remain in the in the, uh, in the in the referendum campaign she didn't do loads there's no there's no mm-hmm. question about that but you know do i think it would have been a, a silver bullet for our campaign if she'd have done more i don't so uh, i mean i think you know these books are great and they'll be very good reads for people like me who are interested in the subject people like people like you and uh, you know will enjoy them but Rather than sort of look back and say, well, if only we'd done X, Y, Z, or this person made that intervention during the referendum campaign, I think we've got to deal with the world as it is now rather than the world as we would like it to be. I'd prefer Britain to be a member of the European Union. I make no bones about that. we voted not to be there is now a massive set of decisions facing this country that are going to affect the welfare and livelihoods of not just our children but our children's children we've got to, on the pro-European side of the argument, stop licking our wounds stop going over what we should and shouldn't have done during the referendum campaign and start arguing for a constructive, close relationship with Europe that is actually the best thing for our trade, for our economy for our security and frankly for the country's benefit as a whole Will Britain leave the European Union? Look, I think, uh, I, think, I think so. The manner in which we leave is now, I think, the biggest question um, that there is facing this country, frankly, in my lifetime. Is your organisation involved with these
0: demonstrations? The We Love Europe demonstrations?
1: um I mean You've lots organised of organised any of them involved we, in that we haven't we haven't organised those demonstrations. We look we've got over half a million supporters, um and I know for a fact that lots of them do go out demonstrating and and, and rubbish, and, there aren't these demonstrations. No, look, it's oh, a
0: waste of time. No, I mean, look, all oh, getting no. together, go. Oh, we love Europe. Oh, my, let's oh, all let's all swan around Hoxton and Cambridge and places that love Europe already. you Go. How much we love Europe. Uh, why weren't you doing that? Surely you look at it and go,
1: why weren't you doing this in the weeks before the oh, referendum? No, I mean that. Look, like, you know what our volunteers put in on the ground you know the amount of leafleting street stalls door knocking they did you, you know i've got nothing but admiration and then the people that
0: are are not your volunteers they're all the wishy-washy limos who did nothing beforehand and they um, got the,
1: the um I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna shock you here but as a liberal democrat i think that um you know people being engaged in politics uh, in a vociferous mm-hmm. way frankly regardless of what they stand for provided it's within the law is is a good thing i think that you know the referendum uh, got people involved in politics in a way that they hadn't mm-hmm. before, particularly young people. Now, we're not ourselves arguing for a rerun of the referendum, but there are groups out there who are. Um, and, you know, that is their business. And I understand that there are people who are very angry about the result and want to go down that road. That's not the road we're going down at the Open Britain, but that's not to say that their protest, that their movement is without purpose or without relevance. I think, you know, I think it's good that there are people who are, you know, so strongly motivated about this that they want to engage in in, in, in political debate. And just because they lost doesn't mean their voice shouldn't be heard.
0: True. But it'd be better if they went marching through Nuneaton and Sunderland and Great Yarmouth and try and actually persuade people, is not it? Instead of these jamborees in Parliament Square.
1: Look, I think, you know, I think there is a big job to be done to heal the divisions in this country. And I think, you know, the... The, the fact is that there were areas of the country that voted overwhelmingly Remain, but there were more areas of the country that voted overwhelmingly Leave, and what we've got to do at Open Britain, and we still have you know, this great network of supporters and people on the ground who do you know, do campaigning for us, is get out there and make the case that just because we voted to Leave, that doesn't mean we should cut our nose off to spite our face, that there is still huge amounts of mutually... Um, beneficial cooperation that we can do with Europe from trade to security to workers' rights to the environment, you know, these are things that are really going to affect people's lives, not just now but in the future, and you know, we shouldn't, as I say, throw the baby out with the bathwater Is there an open Scotland? Um, we are talking to people about whether we can get something up and running, but we are much, much smaller organisation than we were uh, last time, so you've got to sort of give us time. Still half a million members so are they members supporters, supporters.
0: Yeah. that's pretty handy that puts yeah. you up there with Jeremy Corbyn levels of support right? I wouldn't want to claim I wouldn't want to claim uh-huh. that but look
1: we're very proud of our grassroots organisation but just from a purely you know centralised office point of view we're down to six staff from you know a staff 180 during the campaign we've got to go and rebuild a lot of those networks that we've got in Scotland but you know in all other areas of the country um, and that's just going to take a bit of time how many MPs have you got supporting you uh, well we set up our um, uh, all party parliamentary group yeah. recently and that was quite well attended Um it was about 30 people there on a, on a Thursday morning which is not which is not bad um, from all parties yeah all we, well, we've got so, so we've got active supporters from the Conservative Party from Labour from and from the Lib Dems, so the three main uh, national parties. No, SNP. The SNP are more than welcome to get involved with us. We'd actually, we'd really, really love it. Um, the SNP during the referendum campaign chose to do their own yeah. thing, and I totally appreciate the reasons for that. Well, we're I, what not were the reasons for that. They don't really want to share platforms with the Conservative Party as a general yeah. Uh, and look, I get it from their point of view, I totally get it, and it's not for me to tell the SNP, you know, who are an extremely successful political outfit, how to go <laughs> about their business. That is working for them, clearly. What I would say is, look, we're not going to probably agree, Open Britain and the SNP on every single yeah. issue. For example, we don't uh, agree with Scottish independence, um, yeah. but that doesn't mean there aren't areas of you know, massive common ground that we could work together, single market membership, for example maintenance of EU Mm. funding streams so look our door is always open to the SNP if they want to work with us but I also appreciate that they may not want to as that's a stance they've previously taken
0: and you must have thought about it because obviously they want Scotland to remain in Um, can you see a way for that to happen
1: I mean I think that's you know extremely extremely complex Um, I I can't personally see a way that 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 happens um, but I'm not going to pretend to be an expert Fair enough. Um, who's the best MP you've got? Oh, I'm not going to single out. I'm oh, not, come I'm on. Not, it's Suba's, gonna, isn't it? Know. It's Anna no, isn't I'm it? Not, we've got it's a Subaru, isn't got it? Got come fine, on. A fine roster of politicians from Anna Subi, to Pat McFadden to Norman Lamb to Chucker and Luna, to Nick Clegg to oh, Dominic Grieve. This, um, yeah, no. this is a total. These, these are all.
0: Metropolitan wet dream. These That'd are all good things. These
1: are amazing dinner Do you know Actually, you say it's a. Uh, a metropolitan uh, wet dream but I think it's really interesting that our three probably our three most our three leading supporters people who've been with us from the ground floor are Anna Soubry uh, Pat McFadden and Norman Lamb all represent areas that voted to leave um, yeah. you know which I think is really uh, important we are not just London based our supports all across the country and actually if we're going to have any impact we have to take our argument beyond as you rightly say the sort of metropolitan you know coffee shops of North London and into people's communities and that's why I think it's really important that we've got MPs who don't just represent you know Chukka does who's again one of our, yeah. our MPs he represents a seat in Stretton where they voted nearly 80-20 mm. to uh, remain but Anna, Pat and Norman all represent seats that voted to leave.
0: Norman Lamb's out That's in East Anglia isn't he?
1: North Norfolk, yeah.
0: Yeah, how did he get elected?
1: That's like UKIP land.
0: How did they, why did they end up voting for a Lib Dem? What oh. the hell happened there? I mean,
1: if you've seen Norman campaign, you wouldn't well, ask that question. He's I know, I've also been to East Anglia, do I know what they're like. He's an extraordinary campaigner. <laughs> uh, and, you know, even you know, in what was quite a low ebb for the Lib Dems in 2015, was returned um, fairly comfortably.
0: I've never thought about that it's a weird weird result but then I suppose with all due respect all Lib Dem wins in 2015 were slightly weird Mm. (laughs) Um, you were uh, at the heart of the Lib Dem operation in coalition yep proud to be
1: Um, when are you
0: going to write your book
1: Oh, it's not for me to, to write a book Nick Come Clegg's on. already written one so what, I don't know what I'd have to, well, you have could, to add to the EU referendum as well Lawsey and, and Clegg have written their books book writing is not for me I'm more of a uh, participant than a, uh, than a than an author really? I don't think anyone would really want to read my my thoughts on uh, Europe rude. and the Lib Dems I would suggest that is a niche uh, publication that uh, would have very few subscribers
0: oh I don't know about that
1: um, give it a few
0: years actually. that's the answer um and the Lib Dems, where they are now, I mean, you're still a Lib Dem, yeah, you're yeah. still, um, you know, when they get back into government, you'll answer the call? Uh, that could be sooner than you think, actually, right?
1: You know, look, I'd, ne- I'd never not answer the call for my party, but um, look, I think the Lib Dems are in a, you know, it sounds funny thing to say when you've only got eight MPs and, you know, people have been writing your political obituaries for the last year and a bit. Um, actually, the Lib Dems are in a pretty good place. We've got more members than at any point in this century. We are genuinely winning by elections, right, left and centre, yeah. off people up and down the country, off Labour, off the Tories, off off UKIP. Went to conference last week, the mood was incredibly chipper. I think Tim is a brilliant leader and you, you know the more he's exposed to the public, the more people will like him. Look, as I say, it sounds a funny thing to say, but the Lib Dems are in pretty good shape at the moment and I think our you know the death of the Liberal Democrats that was widely written, you know, less than a year ago now. Think it's being confounded at every turn. The Dems are always chipper
0: at conferences aren't they? They just go and sing sweary songs about their altar or their, uh, their opponents. We've we've gone. there a, ever been a fad Lib Dem conference?
1: It's amazing. Not really. We are in last we, year. We are re- just going to sing some sweary songs, cheer themselves up. We are a, remar- a remarkably optimistic uh, bunch. Liberalism is quite an optimistic creed. I mean, yes. you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna be a liberal and, and fight for liberal causes that aren't always popular or um, easy to, un, you know easy for people to get behind that you know I think you have to keep a degree of cheeriness and what I always found amazing was that you know the build up to our conferences during the coalition government when we were clearly having a having a tough time you guys would always say to me You know, there's going to be blood on the carpet, people are going to be swinging for each other, you know, people are going to be, you know, seeking to throw over the leadership. And I'd say, look, it's nothing like that. You know, I speak to the Dems all the time and I think we'll find, you know, we're a pretty resilient bunch. And every time at the end, you know, even the hardened veterans of the lobby would have to admit that... The the mood that they saw and the resilience they saw amongst the Lib Dems was pretty admirable. Nobody really ever thought there'd be fights at Lib Dem conference. Lib Dems don't do fighting. Uh, sure. I mean, metaphorical rather yeah. than. Yeah. Well, the thing is, at Labour conference,
0: they've been talking about there's going to be literal
1: fighting, and of course, that hasn't come to pass either. No, I've never seen i I've never seen um, uh, actual punch ups at Lib Dem conference. Tutting, uh, slow clapping, yes, uh, punch ups no. And you were uh, the Malcolm Tucker of the Lib Dem operation. I think that's very generous and perhaps uh, says more about the Liberal Democrats than it does about me.
0: That's true. You had a a reputation. Did you uh, cultivate that reputation?
1: No, I mean, look, I think I was... It wasn't a bad reputation. It
0: it wasn't in terms of ability, but there was a a, a personality reputation thing going
1: on. I like to think I was fair and I was capable of being quite hard with people and quite tough with people. And look, I always say this you know, I love the lobby and I've enjoyed working with them for over a decade now but it's not a teddy bears picnic that you're running in there you know, it's quite a, you know politics at the sharp end when you're in government and you're unpopular and you're dealing with, you know, some quite hostile newspapers you know, that is a tough environment in which to to operate and in my experience, you need someone like me who engage with people, will always answer the phone, will never blackpool people or say you're not going to talk to them, but he's also capable of being, shall we, for want of a better word, robust with people yeah. when the need may arise. I don't want to blow smoke up your ass, but
0: you can be like that if you've got, if you can back it up, right? Mm. It's the people who have the attitude and are incompetent that are the problems. Yeah. And I'm going to try to think of a political party that currently
1: has people who are, who are a bit like that. Can you think of anybody who might be I, that I book? can't think of who you're possibly talking about. But I do What well, I completely agree. And I also think this idea that you work in politics and the media is your enemy is a complete anathema to me. You, you know, the media exist and they're independent of politics, and quite rightly so. And look... There are flaws in, in in British journalism, but I actually think it's the best in in the world in terms of its um, forensic analysis, in terms of how it, you know it's not dictated to by power, in, in terms of its irreverence at times. It can be funny as well as informative, but. The idea that as a political party you can you should be issuing the mainstream media as a way of getting your message across when it 's watched by, listened to and read by millions of people every day to be informed about politics is just complete rubbish. Um, and give me a prediction when are the Lib Dems going to be back in power? Well, I'm not going to put am not going to put a date on it, but sooner than you think, I think 2020, be, right? I think uh, it would be remiss of me to start uh, giving you dates, but uh, it could be 2020, right? I mean,
0: the numbers—you don't if the
1: Tories will lose a few, you
0: win a few, then the numbers game doesn't have to go. It's not like you have to get back to having 50 seats to get back in power.
1: No, but what, what I think, you know, if you're the Lib Dems, rather than talk about coalition governments again and, and, and power. What you need to do, talk about, and this is where Tim has got it absolutely bang on, is building again, you know, and doing what Lib Dems do. You know, we don't have huge amounts of support in the in the, in the mainstream media We don't have the ability To get on television In the same way that the two bigger parties do But what we do do Is have an ability To build up our local Council base again Build up our membership base And do what Lib Dems Have always done Which is literally Go street by street And that's what you've seen In these by-elections You know when we get a chance To get our message across To people People will vote for us And it's about building, I think, rather than setting yourself overly ambitious targets that, frankly, you know, are a little way away. At the moment, you know, let's concentrate on what's in front of us, build a council base, build the membership. You get Tim out there more and let's see where that goes, rather than rather than being hoisted on our own petard by saying we'll be back in power by X date. But politics is a bit power, right? I couldn't agree more, yeah. I find this, frankly, you know, elements of the Labour Party that think that you don't need to... Aspire to power. If you're a political party, to be a complete anathema. A colleague of mine in the in the Lib Dems always used to say this to me, and it, and it always struck me that in opposition, your hands are clean but empty. So you can have your purest positions. No one will ever say that you've compromised or that you've you know you've had to change what you, what you're arguing for because that's actual real life. But you can't actually do anything. And having done over five years in opposition and five years in in power, I wouldn't swap um, uh, a day a day in power for five years in opposition because you can't actually do any of the things you're in politics to do, make people's lives better. And since we're skirting around him, um, Jeremy Corbyn, could he have
0: campaigned more and won the referendum for you?
1: He could have campaigned more. Whether that would have uh, won the referendum for us, um, I don't. I don't know. I think you know. Let's let bygones be bygones. Now, what I'd like to see. Jeremy doing is leading from the front for the Labour Party making the case for a close continued relationship with Europe and starting with why membership of the single market is important Okay,
0: uh, good luck with that (laughs) (laughs) you haven't set yourself too many goals with this uh, new organisation but uh, uh, good luck with it it'll be interesting to see how it all uh, pans out Uh, it certainly needs to be there doesn't it you need to have an organisation making that case whether you agree with what you're doing or not I suggest Uh, we like to think so Um, need some balance Um, Okay, listen, thank you to my guest, uh, Jane Grory, of uh, Open Britain. Uh, If you want to get in touch about anything we've discussed, uh, I am politicalyeti at gmail.com. I am at politicalyeti on Twitter and if you want to sponsor this podcast I'm still waiting for somebody to offer me huge amounts of money, Um, I'll speak to James about whoever's funding Open Britain and uh, see if they've got deep pockets that stretch to me as well. Um, Tune in next week for another uh, Political Yeti's politics podcast. Thank you.